Welcome to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us as we dive deep and explore the concept of circular innovation and how it's reshaping brands, technology, and operations. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Circular Innovation. I'm Richard Bliss, the co-host. I'm joined by... Jess Schistler, the co-founder and CEO of Maven Circular. And Nate Schistler, co-founder and chief maven at Maven Circular. We are back together again. It just seems like yesterday that we were here, uh, and this is a lot of fun. Now, last time we talked about a lot of different topics, a lot of information that we covered, and we kind of touched on it. So there's probably some more. We can dive a little bit deeper into this, I think, in some different areas. Yeah, Richard. I think um, I think maybe today we focus on COVID and the and the impact COVID had in this industry. Um, specifically, you know, we have I have three ideas. We've got the spike of e-commerce, um, which also means spike of returns. And then we had, as a community, we had folks going outside a lot more, and they were living a more outdoor lifestyle um, due to offices being closed and schools being closed and whatnot. And then the third piece, you know, we really felt, and I think we're just coming out of, the excess inventory that brands had in their warehouses. Okay, let's. We're going to dive into that because that catches me by surprise a little bit. Um, I'm not sure right now how that applies, and so you're going to educate me, obviously, on uh, some of those things. Uh, the one that's obvious to me is the spiking e-commerce. I mean, right? The number of times that a UPS guy showed up and played or ringing the doorbell, my wife's like, "You ordered something again." And it was almost every day, right? It was every day I was looking forward because that's the only interaction we had, even though he had to stand at the end of the driveway and throw it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he, he wiped for a while. They were wiping the boxes down with Lysol wipes or whatever. Or they- right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, this is I fast. The Go ahead. Yeah. I, you know, the, the spike in e-commerce, that's a, we don't need to belabor that point, but it's a really important one. It's like a foundational concept for what's driven consumer demand for re-commerce, generally speaking. You know, you, we saw a spike in, in e-commerce as the result of stores being closed. So that's kind of like, yeah, got it. Stores were closed. We're trying to buy online. Um, but then also there's the, uh, if you want to call it the prime effect, but there's the like, I'm sitting at home. I can't go to the office. I can't go to the school. I'm stuck in my house. I might as well be you know swiping and click to buy on Amazon. And so there, there's really like two things that drove that huge e-commerce boom. But then to Jess's point on the back end of that, you saw because we're coming, we're still at that point in an era where the idea of free returns was an expectation. We're still kind of in that era, but we're coming out of it a little bit. Um, You know, if there's a 50% growth in e-commerce, there's an equal growth in the rate of, you know, returns coming back to to warehouses. And so um, many brands and many retailers were faced with just an absolutely crushing amount of of returns piling up. They were there was they were not prepared for that. There were there were probably some companies that had almost no returns at all, and suddenly they're being faced by this flood. Yeah, uh, yeah. What do, we, it, what do we do with this? Right, because the you know the priority. If you put yourself back, and we were both working for Lululemon at the time, so you know, put yourself back in March 2020. You shut down every single retail store on the planet. And everyone's saying, how are we going to make money? Well, we've got to drive people to e-commerce and we've got to figure out how to keep our DCs open and implement protocols to operate safely. And there was so much effort, not just at Lululemon, but 
really across the board for all brands and retailers. So much effort focused on that, that there was, you know, everyone kind of forgot about the wave of returns that were then coming back. And then, you know, if you were a company like Lululemon had multiple DCs, you're often in a position where some DCs were open, some were not. If God forbid that one of your DCs that was closed is the one that processes returns. So now you've doubled your outbound volume from some nodes in your network, but the node that processes the returns is closed. Um, you're in a, a bit of a pickle when that, that wave comes crashing through and you get the call saying, Hey, you've got all these returns stockpile. What are you going to do with them? And just for clarity, DC, I assume means dis- distribution center. Distribution center. Yeah. I'll, I'll try and not use too much jargon. <laughs> you're fine. I'll just catch yeah. you on it and say, I had yeah. no idea what you just said. Could you say that in English? So, okay, yeah. that, that works. And really there was a, a change in the consumer behavior. So let's, let's say the average was two units per order. You saw items up four to six items per order. And then you, so let's say total six to eight items in an order. And the return of that is four or five. So, you know, folks are buying more, but returning more and warehouses are stretched thin to fulfill the outbound increases. And it wasn't until, you know, Lululemon wasn't the only one. There's all sorts of retailers that were storing product in um, like storage containers or they were scrambling to open up another warehouse and, um, and, and make that inventory available again for a consumer to buy. So there was definitely, you know, an, an avenue that a lot of people didn't strategically have on their roadmap. Right. And, I, and on a personal side, I, I'm sitting here thinking about, oh, yeah, I bought six pairs of pants uh, because I found these pants. I really liked them. So I'm buying six. And then I got my size wrong because I had put on a little bit, just a little bit of weight. Mm-hmm. And suddenly now they don't fit. As soon as I got them, I only opened one pair and I had to get them back. And I am remembering that experience and I'm really impressed with how they handle it. Cause what I did is I got them on the phone, which is like almost unheard of. And they were like, okay, <laughs> we'll send them back. And then what do you want? And I told them they said, and I was like, wow, that was such a smooth interaction, but it's one of the few times I've ever returned something I've bought online. And now as you're explaining, while that company handled it just fine, a lot of companies were unprepared to handle the flood of what they were doing, dealing with. Yeah. And so this accelerated then their need, right? That they needed to find uh, a way to handle this. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, but there's one, the topic, Jess, that you mentioned that caught me completely off guard. Why in the world would an increase in outdoor activity, which I did not seem to participate in, have an, <laughs> have, have an impact like this? I mean, I'm not seeing the connection, the obvious connection here. Yeah. So you go outside and, you know, if you're usually an indoor person, I call those people indoor cats. Um and now you want to go hiking. Well, you're going to need some stuff. You're going to need a water bottle and maybe a pack, like a backpack of some sort. You're going to need bug spray. So this whole industry that was very active for the folks that played outside often. Right. um, Now you have these other folks that are now dabbling in this, you know, this industry of needing to buy things. Like, For instance, the cycling industry just completely boomed. You could have, trying to find a size 48 bike my size was extremely painful. Um, We actually sold our son's bike 
for more than what we bought it for during COVID. You know, he, you know, at the time he was like nine year old boy and he was playing on his bike and, you know, kids grow so quickly. So we needed to get him a bigger bike. And that smaller bike was, you know, we we're going to sell it on Kijiji, which is like something we laugh about, but it's only used in Canada. Um, so kind of like Facebook Marketplace. And um, I think we bought the bike for 350 and I think we sold it for 500. It was bonkers. So the demand was so high for going outside because, you know, you had all these children that weren't in school and sometimes they weren't even in daycare because daycare was a, a struggle then as well. So, um, you know, but the summertime is... But help me understand, how does that relate to the yeah. circular e economy and what the service that you provide? I'm, I'm missing that connection. Yeah. So th th there's two things that are true about outdoor activities. Um, outdoor activities often require outdoor gear to be purchased in right. most cases. And outdoor gear as an industry, because of the nature of the product, is typically expensive, but also typically high quality and very durable. It's product that is meant to be played with outside. And, and those two um, characteristics, an item being of high quality, but also a strong price point, are really compelling attributes for a product to have a successful second and third life. And there's always kind of been this like, um, you know, we talk about Facebook Marketplace and Craigslist, or if you're Canadian, Kijiji, which is like the Craigslist of Canada. You know, outdoor gear has always had a presence in some form of secondhand or, you know, circular economy. I mean, take REI for an example as, you know, really like a leading outdoor gear retailer in the U.S. Even before they had um, the REI um, Good and Used program, which is like their online brand certified e-commerce channel for years, REI stores ran garage sales. They called it a garage sale where they took, they collected product that was returned to the store. And once a month or once a quarter, they would literally have a garage sale and they would sell all of that used product for a really strong price point. Um, and it's because the product is of high quality and intended to be used. Now that's not always true. There's certainly entrance and in, into that category sure. that are selling, you know, kind of low quality product. But if you're, if you're buying from a name brand making high quality outdoor product, there's no reason why in most cases that product can't be used and owned by two or three people over its functional life cycle. All right. We've just made a leap then. We've just made a, a shift because in our first episode, we talked about um, fast fashion. We talked about returns. And as we were talking about uh, e-commerce and, and returns, now what you're talking about is a whole different model, aren't you? Now you're not necessarily talking about returns because I bought something I didn't want. You're now talking about something, I bought it, I used it, and I no longer need it. Yeah. And this inner opens up an a totally different marketplace for traditional brands that maybe hadn't. So now I see what you're saying is that because of the massive increase in outdoor activity, and then when COVID went away, a lot of that activity stopped. The right? indoor cats went inside. Yeah. The indoor cats. Oh, well, some of us some of us were like, what happened? I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Just but, looking through the window. But right. yeah, you have, you know, the e-commerce industry has an an element of it, which is trade-in. So 
the trade-in program that some of these retailers and brands have is, you know, you have a tent and you used it once or you used it twice, but it's been used. You cannot return it in a traditional return. It's, you know, it, it's unsellable to a new um, a new guest or a new customer, consumer. So the trade-in program of e-commerce typically looks like you bring the tent in, it gets inspected, you get a gift card typically or a cash of some sort, you get reimbursed for what you're trading in, and then you go ahead and buy something else, but that product then gets refurbished if needed or cleaned, and it gets remerchandised, and it's put on this resale program as um, like it will have different tiers of how like the quality of it. But you, uh, the next consumer can say, hey, I want to buy that tent. I don't want to spend $700, but I can, I'm can. i okay with spending 500 or 450 And they know that it's certified through whichever the brand is. They know that it is in good quality and there's nothing missing and it's, you know, there's no holes. And now the next person can go ahead and purchase it. So now that, um, you know, not every brand has this trade-in program, but a lot of them do. And this is really what closes that gap on enabling this um, like product that is able to go a second time around to actually go around. Because of the nature of the, of the product and because of the nature of the activity that the product is designed for, it's really no surprise that outdoor gear and apparel led the charge to e-commerce and is also the most innovative when you look across uh, various categories of brands that, that offer brand certified e-commerce. It's always outdoor gear and apparel at the forefront. And, they really the charge for... Yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the interesting point here is that this is not content that's going to show up in a landfill. Right. There's just no way it's showing up in a landfill because I'm not throwing it away. If anything, if there's no, if there's no, as uh, Jess, what did you call it? If there's no ability to resell it back to the uh, return it, return it for credit, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell it in a garage sale, or I'm going to, yeah. give it to or good keep it girl, in your garage, yeah, or I'm gonna and keep it in the garage, grandkids, yeah, and they're like, yeah. what am I gonna do with this old thing? Yeah, right, but but it's, but your point, well, here is, is that this is a, so there are really two dynamics going on here one there is the the okay we've got something back what how do we handle bringing it back and how do we handle uh the processing of it and the other one is we now have a used product really used product not just returned and yeah. now how do we go about re-commercing that so that we make this was the idea of make it once sell it twice right. we now have this product and we get to sell it twice to two completely different owners who have taken advantage of and used it. And so this is an inter- really interesting concept. And there's probably some companies out there who have, and, and Nate, I think you talked about this in the first episode, that their brand prevented them originally from doing something like this because there was that fear of a re, yep. re-commerce is a used product and now you know, a Louis yep. Vuitton bag, uh, although... Having had two ex-wives, I know how many times they bought Louis Vuitton bags and stuff. <laughs> well, I'm still Maybe. waiting for mine. They don't have a program yet. Oh, they don't. Oh, all right. Okay, let's just be clear. <laughs> they don't have a program yet. Let's make sure we fi- figure out how to do that. Okay. And in the last few minutes that we have, let's shift to this third one. And that is... Yeah, uh, the, yeah the- this one is excess inventory. So um, basically, you know, let's rewind to the beginning of COVID. So spring 2020. <clears throat> 
Now, stores were closed. A lot of companies had e-commerce. Some of them were forced to use um, different avenues of e-commerce, so like buy online, pick up in store, or um, different fulfillment methods. And at as a total, we saw less money being spent in stores or on product. So basically what, from an industry perspective in the retail industry, we saw more inventory sitting in the warehouse. And that's a real big problem. Um, Nate, maybe you can share a bit of your experience there and what you kind of navigated with the Yeah, it's really um, just a, a, you know, most brands, especially in the apparel space, are releasing product to align with the seasonal calendar, spring, summer, fall, winter. And so when you go through, a, you know, you, these POs were cut in 2019 for product to sell in the spring and summer of 2020, but then sales are down in the spring and summer of 2020 because of COVID and the resulting shutdown. And so when you come into the fall and winter of 2020, where things are starting to open back up, brands have all of this product that they weren't able to sell, brand new product, spring and summer product, that's just sitting in their warehouse. It's on their books. They can't do anything with it. And so they're left with this choice of like, do we hold it and try and sell it in spring of 21? Maybe. Or if you're a really fashion forward brand that, you know, your designers aren't going to love that because they're probably already designing and cutting POs for 2021. Um, or you liquidate it for pennies on the dollar or you come up with some other avenue. And, and really one of the um, I don't know if it's a best kept secret or worst kept secret, but let's just call it a secret of branded re-commerce is that across the board, a significant source of supply for all of the leading branded re-commerce channels that are out there, a significant source of supply is excess inventory, out of season inventory, broken size runs, factory seconds. These are all just different names for product that is new. It's never even been in the hands of a first owner but for one reason or another can't be sold at full price. And so it's, it's a huge source of supply. And in many cases, brands are marketing the product as used, even though it's brand new because they're just selling it through their e-commerce channel and keeping it off of their mainline storefront where it would otherwise kind of degrade. It would really just clog up their clearance section. And so they, they push over to their e-commerce channel and sell it as potentially lightly used product, even if, it's brand new. And really, that's kind of where we advise in terms of like, how do you get a program with inventory? So let's say you you are a brand and you're like, okay, we're doing this. We have buy-in from finance and from supply chain and from our merch team, and we're going to do this and we want to get it started in fall of 2023. How do we even start the program? Where's the, right. where the inventory coming from? And this is a really great way to alleviate their current warehouses. And sometimes, you know, the programs are in their own warehouse or sometimes it's in a e-commerce specific warehouse, but really the inventory that they're sitting on that might actually be two years old, but they don't want to, they don't want to sell that shade of pink right now. They are on this different version of pink for this year. This is really a, a great way to launch a program with many SKUs and a lot of inventory and, X, and then on the on the back end of that, you're alleviating your traditional inventory and your slots in your warehouse of this inventory that's been sitting there collecting dust um, and not making any money. I have two questions. Uh, how so? 
Question number one, how is this different than outlet stores? Yeah, it, it, the key difference is you're going to hear us use this phrase more and more. This is this is a brand certified, um, this is called brand certified re-commerce. And what that means is that the brand is selling the product through their e-commerce experience as a secondary channel, as opposed to um, shipping it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I was going to go, I go to an outlet store and, and there's the Toomey yeah. store and I walk in and it's got all the stuff discounted and I'm at an outlet store so I can buy. Uh, so it sounds like I'm buying, one, I'm doing it either e-commerce or the, my slight confusion. No, no, no. You're, it's, it's a fair question. It's an outlet store experience, but it's online. Okay. That's, that's the key piece here, right? M- many brands, many retailers, or sorry, many brands also maintain an outlet store strategy. Uh, but the the reality is that re-commerce as a selling channel is more appealing than outlet for the same reason that e-commerce as a selling channel is more appealing than retail. And that's because the margins are better. Got it. You don't have to pay employees to stock the shelves and sweep yeah. the floors and you don't have to pay lease on a you know 15 to $25 per square foot retail space. And, and on top of that, from a consumer perspective, you have access to an infinite amount of inventory as opposed to whatever the outlet store has that day. Good and point. really, you're making a new category. So you're combining this excess, excess inventory with maybe a trade-in program and with also returns that can't be sold for full price. Uh, so really, you're bundling all of these three avenues of inventory that you're trying to find a solution for. Uh, well, maybe the you know, the outdoor example or trade-in program is is a new way of maintaining product. But um, basically, you're putting these three piles of inventory together. You're having a tiered program so you can say, this one is like new, this next one is great, and this third one is good. And there's a, you know, you're defining what does that actually mean? Is there a potential thread pull? And is that considered good or great? Um, so there's different criteria to help the consumer identify, you know, what should I expect with good? What should I expect with great? And what does like new mean? Um, so defining all of that really helps the consumer understand why there's a different price point. And you're also solving this, you know, continued we're seeing in, you know, in retail, we're still seeing a huge amount of returns. And so this is solving that problem. And, you know, excess inventory i feel like we're on the on the back end of buying patterns and um consumer behavior with purchasing but there there will always be um excess inventory in warehouses and this is really solving solving that problem as and well. this is and as we wrap up this is where maven circular comes into play is that the, bringing us all together is not easy there's all kinds of technology plays there's all kinds of changes in and you've talked about it, the managing of SKUs, the managing of the logistics two things that both of you have unique experience and skill with so that you can come in and help an organization understand, all right, here's your challenge. Here's the opportunity. We're going to get you there and we're going to bridge that gap. Is that fairly accurate? Yeah, there's there's the program element of it. So on the brand side, how do you actually launch this? So we support in, in that sort of consulting, but we also help operationalize. So, um, you know, now that we have a strategy, how does it actually happen? And who are the seven people you need to know in the industry? And 
you know, when you're building an RFP, what considerations do you need to have for pricing? Um, what do those models look like and what might work best for your business um, rather than a standard approach? Because this industry is very different than a traditional 3PL warehousing opportunity. It's, you know, making sure that all of the um, the contracts are considering all of the things that we've learned with launching many brands um, over the, the past couple of years. Excellent. I think uh, I think the audience is going to take a, a lot away from this uh, episode. COVID did term- dramatically change so much, and we're still feeling the ripple effects of that. You know, we're going to talk deeper about the technology and implementing a program and standing it up, as you referred to in, in future episodes. Uh, this has been great. I know our audience is uh, is going to enjoy it. Any f- closing comments on this topic here, as we talked about COVID and those three things: the e-commerce increase, the outdoor activity, something I'm still experimenting with the idea of going and trying. <laughs> And uh, no, excess I, inventory. Yeah, I think we, um, personally, I'd, I'd be glad to stop talking about COVID. I think it's really important foundationally for, for the industry that we work in. Um, but we're definitely going to punch in deeper on some of these topics in future episodes. And uh, Perfect. I have nothing else to say about COVID at this point. <laughs> All right. Jess? Thanks for, thanks for having us, Richard. Yeah, this is always good. Thanks for putting together. You've been listening to another episode of Uh, Circular Innovation Podcast. I've been joined by my co-host, Nate and Jess, and we've been talking about the impact that COVID had on the uh, e-commerce site. Hopefully you found it informative. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. Thanks for listening. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the Circular Innovation Podcast. Join us again as we continue to explore and unravel the complexities of circular innovation.